One of the things that this morning brings up for me actually is a lot of really fond memories. Now, I know for a lot of you, COVID is kind of a, you know, brings up PTSD and all of that stuff. But for me, when I'm out here with you, it brings up a lot of really good memories. It does. I've never been more proud of our church than during the summer of 2020. During the summer of 2020, remember, go back, just stay with me. I know you've kind of tried to block that out of your mind, but stay with me for a moment. You go back to that time, we were shut down for a while. We didn't know if we were dealing with Ebola or what we were dealing with. So we shut down for a little while. We did online and, and uh, we kind of pretty quickly discovered, hey, uh, we think fellowship is critical. We think in person is critical. And so we devised a way. <clears throat> and that summer... We spent the entire summer right out here. And I felt like it was one of the most incredible seasons of our church, of your flexibility, of your endurance, of your commitment to each other, of our tech team and our whole staff, of doing anything that they could do to serve our church. And so when I come when I kind of come out here and I kind of feel this and I see this, this actually reminds me of one of the highlights of my 38 years of pastoring when I felt like our church had some of its best days of not fighting but just enduring and responding. And so This morning, I woke up just so excited that we get to be back out here. Now, for those of you who say, well, let's do it every weekend, forget it. (laughs) I'm not that excited. But it does bring back really, really good memories. And I know we fight issues of cars. And we have issues of sometimes people coming through and shouting and, and all kinds of things. But was that not some of the best days of our life? Was it not? I think a lot of you started attending during that time. A lot of you kind of connected to our church during that time. And a lot of you kind of discovered that it's like, you know, and then then we moved into the fall where we were doing nine services with a hundred people and uh, we were doing all kinds of things. And I I've never been so proud of a church to be a part of than I was through that whole season. I, uh, I, I, I am. I, I've never been so excited to be a part of a fellowship that simply would not be turned away. And uh, so I, I am thrilled this morning. And I, I realize I have a lot of friends in the ministry. Probably the vast majority of my friends have left the ministry. Uh, the ones that are my age. Um, and um, I was just with a group not too long ago from all over the United States and um, asking the question, what's the condition of your church? How are we doing? What's ahead for us? What enabled you to endure? And as we were processing that, one of the things that came back to me was, again, some of the things that you did, we did. We remembered what was important. Well, I'm not saying we agreed on everything. I promise you, I got some emails. Whew. I got some emails. I, I, I've chosen to delete and archive not very many of those. 
It's not that we agreed on everything, but as a whole, we remembered what was most important. And there was a church going through, it was a different issue, but they were going through hardship. They were going through tumultuous time. The church was declining. The pastor was discouraged. In fact, he had written his resignation letter. He was headed out the door and his mentor, the apostle Paul, was trying to get to him to stop him from quitting. Timothy was his name. He was young. He didn't have a lot of background, a lot of experience, and he was facing some challenges. And there were some people bringing up issues in his church that he really didn't know what to do with. And different issues than we were bringing up. We had issues like masks and, and issues of politics and issues of Black Lives Matter and issues of uh, racial issues and economic issues and scientific issues. And I mean, we had all kinds of challenges Timothy's were different, but in many ways, interestingly enough, the effect is the same. They divided the church, they wore everyone out, they created us and them enemies, and Paul was writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, when you enter into those seasons, there's something that you got to do. You got to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not a cop out. You're not avoiding the real issues. You got to learn to keep the main thing the main thing. You got to remember. And one of the challenges for all of us is memory, believe it or not, is something that is not something that just older people struggle with. I know we have issues for older folks. The story of three elderly ladies who lived together. They were sisters. <clears throat> one was 96, one was 94, and one was 92. The 96-year-old, one night, she was going up to take a bath, and she ran the bath water. She put one foot in, and she kind of realized she couldn't remember what she was doing. She, she, she hollered down to her 94-year-old sister, am I getting into the bathtub, or am I getting out? The 96-year-old said, hang on, let me come and check. She goes up, she takes a step, and then she pauses for a moment. She hollers to her 92-year-old sister, am I going upstairs or am I going down? <laughs> then the 92-year-old was sitting in the kitchen. She kind of smirked and thought to herself, oh, I'm sure glad my memory is not leaking like theirs. And she knocked on wood and said, oh, I thank God that my memory is not going like theirs. And she goes, I'll be right with you. I got to go check the door to see who's at the door. <laughs> the fact is, memory is not just something that fades on older people. It fades for us. That's why Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, whoa, there goes my sermon. Praise God. It's right there. It's all in my head. Paul's writing to Timothy, and what's the context? The context is Timothy had submitted his resignation. He was done. There's a group of people who were like, hey, Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh. Jesus Christ isn't God. Jesus Christ isn't. The, the, the resurrection didn't really happen. And they were kind of spreading all kinds of things through the church. The church was splitting. And there were people, and there were some progressives in the church, and they were offering a different Jesus. 
And Timothy didn't know what to do with it. He didn't have experience with that kind of thing. And so the church was kind of hemorrhaging and part of the church was going somewhere else and they were kind of leaking off and Timothy would come to the church and it was a lot less than it used to be. Kind of like what's happened in the United States. Paul writes to him, Timothy, my son, I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want you to endure hardship. I want you to face this difficulty that you're in right now, like kind of like an athlete, like a, a soldier. I don't know of an athlete or a soldier that has ever endured anything of a trial or a war that doesn't get into the middle of it and has to kind of find something within. Timothy, you're going to have to do that. And then he comes to the end and he goes, and Timothy, if you ever need an example, if you ever need something to motivate you, and here's where he comes, this is what I want you to remember. This is what I want you to hold on to. And this is what is the main thing that will keep every church together when it doesn't matter what comes down the pike. And we had a pandemic two years ago. I think we'll have other things that come down the pike. We will. We'll have other things that hit our school district. We'll have other things that hit politics. We'll have other things that hit your family. We will have other things that come down the road that will try and shred us apart and take our church and shred it apart. I guarantee you we will have other things. And when we do, what does Paul tell us? Remember, Timothy, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. And by the way, Timothy, it's yours as well. Remember. I want you to remember the gospel. When you get into difficulty, the first thing that you need to do in your family, when you get into challenges, the first thing you need to do in your family is to center yourself. And you need to remain focus on the main thing. And Timothy, you need, if you're going to lead your church, Paul is saying, you need to be motivated by the very endurance of Christ. It's called the gospel. And there's three things that summarize the gospel for Paul. Number one, Jesus is the Christ. Now you would look at that and you think, seriously? Timothy's forgetting that? Yeah. I don't think Paul would remind him of something that he's not forgetting. I don't think Paul would come to him and say, hey, Timothy, uh, don't, don't forget this if Timothy wasn't forgetting it. That wouldn't make sense, would it? You forget it because you've changed or you forget it because you've fallen in love with the tyranny of the urgent. Or maybe you've become consumed with things that are secondary and you made them primary. Maybe that's our biggest temptation. Jesus is the Christ, Timothy. What does that mean? It means that Christ has come as your deliverer. Christ has come as your Messiah. 
Christ has come as the one that is sent from God, anointed by God, to deliver you. And every person that you're ever going to deal with, Timothy, needs to be delivered. It doesn't matter whether they are a Republican or they are a Democrat. It doesn't matter whether they wear a mask or they don't wear a mask. It doesn't matter whether they work for the public school or a private school. It doesn't matter. The scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. And every one of us are on the same plane. We stand at the same place before the foot of the cross. And we need a deliverer. There's not a person that you're going to look at today. There's not going to be a person that you go to work with. There's not going to be a person that you're going to sleep with. There's not going to be a person that is going to be in your home that doesn't have the same need that you and I have. And that is what? The wages of my life equals death. I need a deliverer. Timothy, don't ever forget that. Don't get wrapped up into things that are secondary and make them primary. Remember the gospel. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. You're not following a great teacher. You're following a rescuer. You're not following a rabbi. You're following a deliverer. You're not following a a person who's starting a movement. You're following a king. You're following somebody who's been sent by God. Don't ever forget that. Secondly, he says in this text, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Now it's interesting. There's a lot of people today under the guise of progressive Christianity that deny the death of Christ. I find that interesting. I'd like to do this politely if I could. I'd like you to be whipped 39 times. I'd like you to have nails driven through your hands and your feet. I'd like you to have a spear driven straight through your side up into your heart. And I'd like you to hang there for six hours and then tell me that you're not dead. And by the way, I'd like you to be buried in a tomb And left there for three days. And then tell me somehow that you're not dead. Because if you're whipped 39 times. And you're hung on a cross for six hours. And you have a spear that is sent up through your side into your heart. There's not a person on this earth that is going to survive that. You're dead. And Paul says, Timothy, this Christ is risen from the dead. What is the implication of that? Number one, Timothy, his resurrection confirms his deity. You're not dealing with a person who is a marvelous teaching rabbi. You're dealing with a deity, and that is God in the flesh. His resurrection confirms your forgiveness. If you've ever faced the real reality that you're a sinner, I'm not talking about a person who's taken a cookie that you shouldn't have eaten. 
I'm talking about a person who's come to grips with the fact that there's a holy God who has created the world and he has a standard of perfection and he says that no one gets into heaven unless you're perfect and you come to grips with the fact like me where I am so far from perfection that there is nothing in this world that I can ever do to bridge that gap between my life and a holy God and when I come to grips with that I have a need that only a supernatural God can intervene in risen from the dead it means that it confirms his deity but it also means that it confirms the power of his forgiveness if I make a mistake my wife can forgive me the problem is is that forgiveness doesn't buy me a day in heaven it just allows me to sleep with her at night If my kids, if I fail my kids and my kids say, Dad, you're, you're forgiven. It, it doesn't buy me an hour in heaven. It just means that we have peace in the family. If I fail a friend and I hurt a friend, I, maybe I talk behind their back and I, I disclose the secret and they forgive me. That, that's a marvelous gift and that can heal a friendship and that, that can restore a relationship. But that can't buy me a second in heaven. It just means that we can go out and play a round of golf together and enjoy each other. Risen from the dead. It means that his forgiveness can transform your life and can cleanse you. Risen from the dead, it promises a hope and a future. I have people that I love that have died. I remember when Carrie's father was passing away. He was in the hospital. And we were unsure of his salvation. Now, to be quite honest with you, there's a lot of people who have died. And, and I have to be candid with you I love them in the sense that they're people made in the image of God but I, I, if I don't know them I have a hard time telling you wow I will miss not seeing them in heaven I don't know them but I knew my father-in-law I loved him there was many things about his life that I respected his marriage was a model his love for his wife was amazing but I didn't know where he stood with Christ And his death was a threat. It was a threat because from my understanding of scripture in Hebrews 9.27 says, Inasmuch as is it appointed that men and women die once and after that comes judgment. Meaning they stand before God and they're held accountable first and foremost for their belief or rejection of Christ. 
And his dad was laying there in the hospital. I was out for a bicycle ride, and I was just like, you know what? How can I be out here for a bike ride when my father-in-law is, might soon die and is going to stand before Christ? How, how can I be out here riding a bike? And I took my, I, I was on my bike, and I headed to the hospital. Man, I was sweating. I was in bike gear. I looked like a mess. And I walked up there into the room. And I shared the gospel with him and I shared him. It's like, Dad, you're going to die soon and you're going to be before Christ. I need to know, do you know Christ? I know you know the gospel. I know you know, you've heard the gospel. Your family has shared the gospel with you. Do you know, have you placed your faith in Christ? I can't do that for you. I can't force you. But I've got to ask you, have you made that decision? And he affirmed with me in that moment that he had. What assurance do I have that I will see him again? The resurrection of Christ. Raised from the dead. That when I die, Gene's going to meet me there. And he's going to be a part of that. And he's going to reach out. He had one hand that a spear went through his hand and it was deformed. And he's going to reach out and he's going to give me a hug. And for the first time in my life that I know him, he's going to put those two bear claws around my back. And he's going to hug me. And one of them is going to be completely healed. It's going to be the first time I've ever going to be hugged by my father-in-law with a perfect hand. Why? Because Christ was raised from the dead. Finally, he says, what is the gospel? What is the main thing that when you face, doesn't matter what issue you face in your family, you've got to keep the main thing, the main thing descended from David. Raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. If raised from the dead affirms Christ's deity, descended from David affirms his humanity. Why is that important? It's because you and I are flesh, and our flesh needs to be saved. And Jesus hasn't given up on your flesh, and he hasn't given up on this world. He hasn't given up on this world where sin entered into this world through Adam and Eve. And that's important because Jesus could have walked away from the whole thing. But he sent Christ in, or God sent Christ in the flesh so that you and I could be saved in the flesh. So that you and I could have hope. What's the gospel? It's right here. God came in the flesh to save you. And Paul is telling Timothy, and he's telling us, when you get in the middle of difficulty, when you get in the middle of a trial, the one thing that'll motivate you and the one thing that'll sustain you is what? The gospel. I think it's the one thing that held our church together two years ago. When we were getting attacked from every imaginable force and we were getting shredded and people were taking sides, the one thing maybe that we did most successfully, and I'm sure you could tell us there were things that we failed in, absolutely, but maybe the one thing we did best 
is that we said the gospel is going to be the most important thing that we're going to hold on to. And we're going to agree upon it. We're going to hold on to it. We're going to preach it. We're not going to be ashamed of it. God came in the flesh to save you. And it doesn't matter where you land on whatever issue, you need to be saved. And I need to be saved. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, when you get in the midst of things like that, you need to remember the gospel. Why? Because in our trials, it is the gospel that becomes our focus and motivation. It is in our trials that the gospel becomes our focus and our motivation. That's what Paul says. In this text, he goes on to say, this is my gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's words are never chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. It's the very thing that motivated him. I don't know about you, but people motivate me. It's the primary thing that motivates me. Money doesn't really motivate me. People motivate me. Things don't motivate me. Getting things. I buy something and, and a week later I'm wondering, why did I buy this? It's like, you know what? I don't even like it anymore. I think I'm going to sell it. Things don't motivate me. They don't. A week after I buy something, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm bored with this thing. People motivate me. In particular, older people with passion motivate me the most. Older people who live with passion. Why? Because it struck me on a bicycle ride years ago when I was listening to a podcast that depression and issues of suicidal thoughts is increases the older you get. And I was kind of pondering that. I was like, I wonder why that is. Why is it the older you get, the more likely it is that one can battle depression? I began to realize, as I have always been in the church, around a lot of seniors living sometimes with them as I do now that the older I get my life is marked not by getting new things but by losing things the older I get I'm losing my eyesight the older I get I'm losing my agility, what little I've ever had. The older I get, the slower I get. And when you start out as slow as I was when I was younger, it's really bad. The older you get, you're going to lose your license one day. The older you get, you're going to lose the ability to pick things up. The older you get, you're going to lose the ability to tie your shoes and you're going to get slip-ons. Think about it for a moment. The older you get, your life is marked not by what you acquire and gain, it's by what you lose. No wonder why sometimes people who grow older battle with depression. 
Now let me go back to my first phrase. Older people who live with great passion and vision motivate me more than anything in the world. People who are learning, people who are casting new vision, people who are, if you will, even at times reinventing themselves, people who are picking up new vision. Trust me, when you get there, you will discover how unbelievably faith-inspiring and supernatural they are. People motivate me. Well, Paul says, take it up a notch, Mark. If you want to be truly motivated, if you want to endure well, Paul says, remember Jesus. Who, when the cross was set in front of him, did not flinch, did not move to the left, did not move to the right, but pressed into it. Why? Because he understood that you were going to be the fruit of that decision. People motivate us. Namely, Christ. It is in our endurance and our trials that the gospel becomes our focus and our motivation. It is also in our endurance that we partner with Christ in this victory. Paul says, if we died with him, we also live with him. Have you ever ran into a person who's a name dropper? You've met them, haven't you? People who want to make sure that you know how important they are by the people that they know. It's okay to be a name dropper as long as you drop in the name of Jesus. You drop other people's names and frankly, you're just insecure. But if you drop the name of Jesus, what Paul is saying is that it's a motivation of endurance when what? If we died with him, we live with him. We partner with him. In other words, if you're suffering for the name of Christ, if you're suffering in this battle, if you take a position at work and you suffer, if you stand for a certain position and you take some hits for it, it is in that moment, my friend, that you're partnering with the most important person in the world, and that is Jesus Christ. And Paul says, let that motivate you. And it's in our suffering that we experience the glory of Christ. If we endure, he says, we also reign with him. It's not going to be easy to suffer. It's not going to be easy to go through. I was listening to one dear pastor who said, I've lost friends that I had for 25 years. I don't know how to process that. I was listening to another pastor say, I had friends in my church that were friends with each other for 30 years and they walked away from each other over a mask. It's tragic. It's really tragic that they would make a secondary thing a primary issue. Remember the gospel, Paul says. And when you suffer, and you will, And as the world gets darker and the scripture says that it will. If you keep the main thing, the main thing. The thing that can motivate you the most maybe is in the end, I get to reign with Christ. 
I get to share in his glory. And we get to do that as a church. And that's the thing that will keep us together. That's the thing that will hold us together. 2020 will go down in my 38 years as one of my favorite years of ministry. When I lived it, it was not. When I lived it, kind of stunk. When I look back on it, I've got to tell you, it's one of my favorite memories of living life with you. Why? It's because I think we did what Paul said to Timothy. Keep the main thing the main thing. Why? He said at the end, I do all of this for the elect. There are people that came to Christ in our church over those years because we didn't fold up, we didn't fight over the wrong things. There were people who heard the gospel. There were people who are here today because this church didn't quit. And for that, you should be thankful and proud of. Because the way you endure, Paul says, is you keep the main thing, the main thing. It's the gospel. What is it? God came in the flesh to save you. And there's not a person you will ever see in this world that doesn't need that message. If you keep that message central, nothing will divide you. Nothing can divide you from being a partner in the body of Christ. It will hold us together. It will bind us together. It will help us to overcome whatever the enemy throws our way. And I promise you, he will. But what we endured in 2020 will endure again. Why? Remember the gospel. God came in the flesh to save you. Keep the main thing the main thing. And when you do it, the church holds together.